I wouldn't be able to consume that. Like I have no mechanism. I'd probably have to go buy a tool to one, go call that API, pull that information in, in some frequent period, but then do something with it, right? Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Chris Castaldo, CISO at Crossbeam, author of Startup Secure, and visiting fellow at the National Security Institute. We're talking all about SBOMs, or software bills and materials, and we're having a great conversation about their implications and use. Chris, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks for having me. This is my second time now, right? To right. The, uh, the virtual ranch. Thank you so much for your return to the ranch, I should say. And by the way, I think the last time we chatted, your book was in the works, but was not published yet. Yeah. Yeah, it was before. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Before we remind our listeners a little bit about your background and day job, brief bit, what about your book? Yeah, so Startup Secure is for really anyone that's at a startup uh, or maybe even after the fact, maybe you've IPO'd. I've, I've gotten an interesting range of responses from people that have picked up the book. I initially wrote it for founders, but I found many of our peers picking it up, folks at VCs. So it's it's been a really interesting ride over the last yeah year now. It's been out for a year. Right on, man. All right. So how about a little bit about your background and a bit about your day job? Yeah. So my day job, I'm the CISO at Crossbeam and my background started in what we all call like the, I think the the cool side or, you know, what, what people think of when you say cybersecurity, red teaming, pest, pen testing, that, that type of stuff. The, yeah. uh, kind of uh, attacker side started almost 22 years ago now and bounced around uh, different places, uh, spent time in the army, spent time at NSA doing cool, fun cyber things to defend our nation. Thought, well, maybe uh, maybe I can build cybersecurity programs to, to help defend companies in, in this great country uh, that are facing probably the most advanced hackers in the world looking to, looking to take their IP. So that's what I've been doing since uh, I left the government. Good. There's a noble pursuit in this calling, isn't there? Yes. So everybody knows what a bill of materials is, where you, you list out all the components and parts of whatever it is you're selling to somebody. And we've talked about the software bill of materials, or SBOM, which is quite popular these days. I think a lot of companies are getting on board with SBOMs. Can you briefly describe exactly what an SBOM is? So basically, it's a, a printout, really, of what is included in the software you are selling. For a lot of us, uh, that's SaaS now, right? Uh, not Not too many companies out there that are uh, newer, that are still building, you know, uh, something you install on a device. Obviously, you know, there's there's app makers and, and whatnot, but SaaS uh, seems to be eating the world. And so it's printout of, of what's in your software, right? Other components, typically open source, maybe, you know, maybe another uh, piece of software you've licensed or purchased in, in a different way. That's probably the easiest way to understand it. I'd equate it to, you know, you mentioned manufacturing at the beginning. So, you know, build the materials for your car, right? Right. Doors, windshield, tires, right? right. That, that's what would be on that list. Yeah. All right. So why use an SBOM? I'll play both sides because I, I think I have different opinions here. I think the benefit to an organization using that is going to be a deep understanding 
of the software that they're purchasing. So not just at the functionality level, right? How does it actually work at the end of the day? And how do you build security controls around that? Mm -hmm. uh, but also from a security standpoint, right? So uh, I'm going to assume everyone listening to this knows what Log4J was back in December, <laughs> right? Uh, many months ago, or maybe if someone listens to this a year, a year from now, you know, years ago, knowing what's in your software in your organization can help you quickly determine, are we impacted by this thing or mm -hmm. not? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have not worked at an organization since I left the government that hasn't used open source in some way. Right. You get a huge benefit to using that software, uh, but it still comes with risks, right? Just like running a business, right? That That is the point of, of running a business is you take risks, you, you make compromises. So I think there's, there's benefit to the business from a standpoint of, you know, just knowing what's in place, it's a benefit to your cybersecurity team to be able to quickly determine, hey, are we impacted by this new exciting vulnerability dropping right before the holidays or looking at it from a legal standpoint, right? Uh, I know every legal team I've worked with, they're always interested in the licensing of the software we're using. Viral licensing is a, is a concern for legal. Yep. So I definitely think there's there's a lot of different benefits uh, to, to using it. And then from the, the side of the person producing it, right, the let's say the vendor producing that, yep. that, that SBOM shows a bit a little uh, a little bit of maturity on your development process. Right. Yeah. Because uh, it's there's not a lot of tooling out there to easily produce that. Uh, you either right. have to buy something or, you know, in, in our standpoint to, to produce one. Uh, so a cross beam were on closure, uh, which not a lot of people program in. So there's not a lot of software out there for us. Right. right? So we have to kind of build, build for our own to produce something like that. Yep. This is part of your pipeline now. Yep. All right. So we kind of covered at a high level what should be included, but to review, it sounds like you're saying like, here's all my open source libraries. Here's the specific libraries I'm using. Here's my API calls. Like how, how detailed do you get? Do you get into what your API is? You could. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that document with open API or Swagger. And I feel like that's more geared towards developers at like partner organizations, right? right. If you've got a platform you want someone to develop something for, an integration for. I think that's probably who they're more designed for and less of here's, you know, how my API is laid out from a security standpoint. Right. I don't see that very often, but again, I could see that being extremely valuable if right. you have a much lower risk tolerance than I do, mm -hmm. right? You really want to dig into that platform, that code. So having that SBOM and having that makeup of your API. And sometimes that's hard to produce, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> if you're, let's say, decades old SaaS company, you, you build up tech debt. And, and if you're not good at documentation, you could have some API endpoints that you forgot about. Right. right? Okay. So we, we talked briefly about some of the roles there. You talked about the software producer. You talked about the consumer. I guess there's also a purchaser sort of, I'm looking at sort of three roles there that ultimately care about SBOM, right? What do you, what do you think about the different roles? I think they're the same really as any procurement process, right? You've got the, the vendor side, you've got the buyer side. So on the buyer side, you've got the business stakeholder that, that wants to buy the thing. Mm -hmm. You've got some type of 
procurement team, right? A, a larger, mature organization might have an IT individual in that. They might have legal. They might have security. They might have privacy. Right. Depending what data they're going to be sharing with that vendor, you know, if they're going to become a subprocessor under GDPR, right? right? Obviously, legal and privacy are super interested in that type of stuff. Right. Then on the side of the vendor, it's going to be really your engineering team producing that. I don't see that typically sitting with cybersecurity. Maybe there are organizations where their cyber team is responsible for that. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, it's it really sits with engineering. And then you could kind of have, I guess, a third bucket of prospects, you know, folks that are not a customer yet and right. are doing their vendor due diligence up front before right. full procurement. And they're checking out like, you know, will this, how's the software compared to another competitor of theirs? Does it fit our business use cases and gaps that we have? You know, why are we buying this thing? And oh, does it, you know, meet our regulatory or compliance requirements? Um, right. Does it include libraries or software development languages we simply refuse to work with? Yep. All of the above. I've got, you know, I've got a buddy whose shop, he flat out won't run Java. <laughs> Just if your S1 includes Java, you're off the list. That, that's impressive. I, I don't know how you achieve that, but hats off to them. Right. Speaking of all that, you know, this flows through the pipeline. It's generated, like you said, you can buy software that, that generates your SBOM for you or more often than not, especially if you've got proprietary environments and multiple C of languages, et cetera, et cetera, or, or to your point, I'll call it an obscure language. Yep. You've got to produce this thing and you've got to also sort of secure it and sign it. What do those physics look like? I mean, it couldn't easily be just a hash of the file, right? right? There's obviously data escrow services that you could use out there. I see that typically more in the government space, right? Where federal or state government is purchasing some software where it's you know, a multi-year contract mm -hmm. and you the, the the balls in their court, they have all, all the control so they can ask for those types of things. Yep. I rarely see that in like B2B SaaS, right? You know, two SaaS companies selling to each other that are very small. There's a bandwidth cost, right? There's a resource right. cost in that organization to create this thing, right? And maintain it. Just like any other cybersecurity control we put in place, right? You, there's resources to do vulnerability scanning. There's resources to do endpoint security, right? We're just, we're adding a, yet another control to the processes. Right. So it's got to be maintained, right? It can't just sit on the shelf. Right, um, right. I don't want to buy software that just sits there and does nothing. Right, Shel shelfware is no good. So making the SBOM available, I've personally seen a, a wealth of approaches, and I wanted to hear your take on it because I think you've probably consumed more of these than I have at this point. But I've seen them be available via API. I've seen them be less sophisticated than that. You know, it's all about kind of how real time is it and how is it available to the clients or the customers or the potential purchasers, as we talked about. And there's also data formats. I did a little bit of research and didn't realize this was actually news to me, that there are now actually some data format standards for the SBOMs too. SWID, which I think I've heard some people pronounce as SWID. There's SPDX and there's Cyclone DX. There's some standards out there now for data format, but just like Stix Taxi, it's not just the data format, it's the data transmission that needs to be standardized. So what all have you run into? What means of delivery of SBOM have you seen? The most common at the moment I've seen in my world of you know B2B SaaS is just straight up text on a web page. Okay. That's where the, the vendor is comfortable enough to list that out. 
that I'm going to make the assumption they've done the due diligence with their legal team to make sure they're not giving away some some type of IP right. in releasing that information publicly. I've seen it just in a, a flat text file before. I typically don't request that in my vendor reviews because mm-hmm. uh, I, I have to process it in some way. Right. right, I have to have an internal process now to review that information, add that to the you know risk calculation that that we do on our side. So making sure the business is is moving as fast as possible is a, is a really high priority for me at anywhere I'm at. Mm-hmm. So the ones I've seen where they're publicly uh, available, great, love it. Take a look at it, do a quick scan through it, maybe throw it over to one of our engineers to you know run Trivi or, or or you know some other open source scanning tool. Just a quick, you know, does it have? 20 critical CVs or so. Right. Are you running an open SSL or whatever yeah. library it is you want to go hit? Exactly. So have you ever consumed one via API then? Because I've actually seen this where it was a real-time API, the CI/CD pipeline, in addition to spitting out the latest version of the code, spits out an S-bomb with it. And there's real-time S-bombing, basically. Have you seen that? I have not seen that. That is very impressive. That sounds really forward-leaning. I would make the assumption they're probably selling into very large, very mature organizations, either on the private side, like a large enterprise, or maybe government that would want that. Like, I wouldn't be able to consume that. Like, I have no mechanism. You know, I'd probably have to go buy a tool to, one, go call that API, pull that information in in some frequent period, but then do something with it. Once again, there's a, there's a burden of consumption. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I get that. I get that a lot. So the other piece to this that, that is interesting to me is as you reveal more and you, you were talking about legal and privacy and everything on the vendor side, having to vet all this stuff, right? Yep. And what's interesting to me about that real-time paradigm is what happens if you introduce a whole new library? What if one of the developers suddenly goes and grabs, you know, whatever, Log4j, for example, like, you know, and and you didn't have that before, and suddenly that is introduced in the product. Well, that real-time S-bomb is going to spit out now that you have Log4j. That means every time you introduce new code, you have to have the intercepts in place at introduction time for legal, for privacy, for whomever has a stake in what goes out with that S-bomb, right? So exactly, it's not just a sophisticated CI-CD pipeline. That is some seriously sophisticated business process. I'll tell you, the company where I've seen this come from is actually super tiny. It's a brand new, all SaaS, all remote, you know, one of these super modern companies. And I don't even know if they've got a legal and privacy department per se. They've got Fred, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and Fred's involved in the daily production. I don't know if that would scale for a larger vendor, you know, that might be the challenge there. That's and, and I was I was curious if you had seen that. That was it was a one off for me. And I was curious if you had ever seen it. And it sounds like not. So that's the rarest of the models, it would appear. Yeah. And, and I've looked at a lot of vendors now. I don't go out of my way to ask for that because I know most organizations are not producing it. So unless it's presented very upfront, either on their website, just, you know, out in the open or it's offered up at some point in the procurement process of mm-hmm. you have security questions here, go to, you know, our website slash security, or, you know, here's a, a, P, a PDF zip file with all of our documentation. Just go look at that. If you have questions, let us know. That's, that's typically the format. I'll get that stuff yep. in. Yep. I have never received an SBOM in, in those packets. And there's, there's only one I've seen from a cybersecurity company I don't know if we're talking about the same one, but, you know, they 
posted their their s bomb publicly yeah exactly and it's out there real time and and it's included de facto with whatever you know purchasing stuff you want to do let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your team's time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. Does the S-bomb offer up a free roadmap to the bad guys? This is one of the concerns I've heard about, oh, we don't want to produce an S-bomb. We don't want to steer the bad guys in. I don't think so. I think that's BS. I, I think that goes in the same line. People want, like, not wanting to share their full pen test report. Like, show me in the last decade a Verizon DBIR where someone was breached because they they shared their pen test or their S-bomb with a prospect or existing customer. Yeah, that's right. a, the, the risk isn't there. Maybe maybe there maybe it's a very small risk, right? Maybe if you're legitimately being targeted by nation state who, you know, they they want all the data, right? Every right. little breadcrumb is valuable to them. Right. But like I, I think most of us aren't targeted that way, live in reality and and look at it from the standpoint of we need to be building our cybersecurity programs for our customers and our employees and the business, mm-hmm. not for the attacker. Right. Well, I have been in that APT targeted environment. I've been that guy. I was a CISO at a startup that was 80% owned by Raytheon. And yep. one of the quickest things we learned is they, they don't they don't take on Raytheon directly. They try to hit these smaller satellites around the Raytheon ecosystem that are potentially an easier target because smaller equals less budget, blah, 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 blah. I, I was getting hit on a more than daily basis by all kinds of bad guys. And there's no way I was going to let an S-bomb out the door in that shop. There was no way I was going right. to – you know what I mean? Because the yep. other piece of it and, – and I'm playing devil's advocate to what you said here, but are you going to bind every potential purchaser under NDA? You know what I'm saying? Because once you've given that out to entity A, who's to say it doesn't make its way to B, C, D, E, F, right? Once it's out, it's out. And so I'm super cautious, you know, on on the vendor side, because I'm on the vendor side right now, right? I'm super cautious about just handing that stuff out willy-nilly, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, we're all vendors to someone at some point, whether you're in cybersecurity or not. So again, I think it's it's really important to build that stuff in reality, right? right? Like what are the risks in your organization. I mean, I think our, our favorite cybersecurity phrase, it depends, applies here, right? right? Just like you said, you worked for a small startup supporting Raytheon. Yes, of course, your your risk profile is way different than mine, yeah. right? Um, to, to, to recreate some of these platforms, let's, let's use, you know, something everyone knows, Instagram, right? Let's say their entire code base was stolen by a nation state and they're gonna build a competitor. Right. Are, are you going to get tens of millions of people onto the platform? Like the product at the end of the day, isn't, isn't that underlying code. It's, it's all the people on the platform. Right. So th- right. there's some of these spaces where that's just not going to apply, right. To, right. to have someone try to replicate. Now, if it's building a weapon system, right. That's, that's a different story. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody wants to replicate that. They're going to replicate that. What about 
what's included in the S-bomb in sense of, you know, so we're saying, all right, so let's argue overall that it is not a map for the bad guys, but there's are certain baseline expectations for what goes in the S-bomb. And, and, and the next question that kind of logically flows from that one is, does it require that you disclose more than you care to as the vendor, right? Like, like, can you sort of declare like, oh, I'm not giving that much detail and still have people satisfied? Or once you've sort of said I'm entering the S-bomb realm, is there a certain baseline expectation that might go beyond your comfort level? I think that this whole thing can't be a decision just made by you as a security leader or you as the engineering leader. This needs to be a, a team decision with with legal, with privacy, with the rest of your executive team or leadership team or, or wherever you fall in the organization. So making sure that decision to e even just share it in the first place is a team decision, right? You, your organization relies on you for your expertise, and you should rely on them for their expertise in how the business runs and operates and how you sharing that piece of data might impact something else. Right. Could that possibly impact a contract that already exists right. where maybe it puts you in breach somehow? Or maybe you're tied into something where you weren't supposed to update some piece of software. I mean, the sky's the limit right. when it comes to when it comes to contracting, especially right. on the on the government side. B, you know, B two B SaaS. There's you know you have red lines here and there depending on the customer. But but early stage companies will you know typically look at a, a big lighthouse customer and say, yeah, we'll we'll take every red line. We'll right? sign that. And you need to remember yeah. that. Two, three years later, right. when you, you you start changing your processes, you, you mature your organization. Is, and typically, as long as it's not reducing the security, right, it, it's typically, I'm not a lawyer, right? You could go talk to your GC if you want verification. Right. But, you know, as long as you're not reducing the security of what you've promised in that contract, right. it, it typically won't put it at risk. But you got to think of all those angles, right? Yeah. Could this somehow be used for someone to terminate, right? right. The, you mentioned the friend of yours that won't use Java. Well, if I need to include some Java library yeah. in my software to now build some new feature for, for a new larger customer, right. is, is that gonna... now put me in breach with that person, right? Like you, you really need to make sure you're not, uh, you know, limiting your, your organization's potential. It's funny. Cause I, you know, I track, you mentioned that with the contract, like I, all the kinds of things you track, like when is, when is my next certification for whatever, like SOC 2, when is that due? What is my hours or days or weeks of breach notification period on a per customer basis? Like every contract you track those obvious things, but to your point, like I would have to go back and comb through every single contract to figure out how SBOM might impact a contract. That's a and that is its own ratsness. We should do a whole show on how do CISOs manage the uh, multiplicity of contracts in their world because it, it's as powerful as regulatory, and yet it's scattered and distinct and disparate for literally every customer. And, and once you've got 1,000 customers, now what, right? Yes. Yep. And, and there are not a lot of platforms out there that help you track Yep. those changes, right? There's tons of platforms that, you know, you load your contracts in and it's, you know, in a kind of sealed state, right? It can't be changed yeah, at that right. point, sort of a um, chain of custody for it once yep. it's signed. Yep. But when I first joined an organization, I go read through all the existing contracts. I want to know what security provisions right. we have signed up for and committed to, right? Right. Have we said, we'll let you come in, do an audit at any time. Right. Right to audit. Yeah. 
So a lot of risks can be in there. Yeah, very important stuff you need to know for sure is the CISO, especially walking into an existing shop that's already got that foundation laid, right? Yep. So, all right, switching gears, you mentioned your book. Where can folks get your book? So your favorite local bookstore is a great place. Obviously, the big folks that everyone knows, Amazon, BAM, Barnes & Noble, any large retailer can pick it up there. I do want to note, I am donating 100% of my personal proceeds from the first year of sales to Homes for Our Troops. Oh, right so on. So you do buy the book, it really goes to, to a great cause. Oh, that's brilliant, man. Well done. All right. So last time you were on the show, I had a question at the end of the show. I asked every guest, we've changed up the question since you were here last. So this is a new yep. one for you. What is something you have learned outside of cybersecurity that has helped you in cybersecurity? Oh, I, I would ab absolutely have to say understanding contracts, working, uh, <laughs> le learning to work with legal, I, I think has been the biggest benefit to my career and, and how I apply security and organization. Um, there's just a wealth of knowledge you can get from uh, either if you're at the stage where you have a whole internal legal team or you're using outside counsel, obviously outside counsel, if you ask some questions, that's always going to cost money. Right. But yeah, that I think has been a huge help in, in how I build cybersecurity programs. Well, Chris Costaldo, CISO at Crossbeam, author of Start Up Secure and Visiting Fellow at the National Security Institute. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs> <laughs>